since it is Father's Day, it would be a great time for us to step back from our study of Romans and to think about fathers. Think about what the Word says to us as fathers, what it says to us about our fathers, and even as mothers, uh, as we look into the book of Ephesians and think about this very simple command, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's, um, it's always been curious to me when I go into the bookstore to see the amount of material that's published on parenting. It's curious because you would think that given the, uh, the emphasis on the publishing side when it comes to parenting books, I mean, I'm sure it must be every week that multiple books are published on parenting. They're constantly coming out. You would think that there would be a corresponding representation in the Scripture, that you would flip to maybe every page or at least every two pages and find some comment on parenting. But that's not the case. The Bible says surprisingly little in the grand scheme of things when it comes to parenting. In fact, so many times we... We probably overcomplicate the issue by all of our attempts to maybe uh, over uh, refine it, uh, over publish towards it, uh, over uh, over emphasize insights and and everything that we bring. And I find uh, coming to a passage like this a divine simplicity, a very straightforward exhortation that comes to us, it comes to fathers, the word pateros really speaks to both parents. In fact, it's actually translated as the word parents in some versions. Hebrews 11.23, I think in all versions, translates the word pateros as parents. So this isn't necessarily something specifically for fathers. This is God's instruction for parents. But on this Father's Day, it's appropriate for us to to, to look at this passage and to think particularly about us as men, what God has called us to in the raising of our children. And he basically gives us this instruction, twofold instruction on the negative and on the positive parts of parenting. On the negative side, do not provoke your children. And on the positive side, bring them up in discipline and instruction. It's really so simple, so basic, I think the simplicity may frustrate people because in the simplicity is the demand for trust in the Spirit that we might not do these things. This is a simple command, but it's not an easy command. It's a simple command, but because it involves the battle against our flesh, because it involves us as sinful human beings, it's a challenging thing. And so I want us to think this morning a little more de- in a little more detail about these simple principles. And if you will, to kind of marry them together, uh, marry Ephesians 6, 4 together with insights that we could bring from maybe the manual on parenting, which is the book of Proverbs. If there was any part of Scripture that's dedicated to parenting, it would be that book. Proverbs speaks many things when it comes to dealing with your children, training your children, what you need to teach your children, and all those things. 
And so we, we think about Paul's commands here on the two sides. On one, on one side, do not provoke your children. And on the other side, bring them up in discipline and instruction. We think about that in light of the book of Proverbs. And I believe that we could come up with a number of principles that could guide us through these two things. Do not provoke, do not stir them to anger uh, is Paul's first command in the first half of this verse. And we should note as we look at it, this is not an absolute command, never to make your children angry. Uh, This is really not talking about momentary, sudden, or outburst of anger. That, in fact, is necessary in parenting. That's necessary because at some point in the relationship between you and your child, someone has to be the adult. And when you are the adult, when you make adult decisions, when you see the dangers of decisions that your kids are going to make, and sometimes you have to bring uh, the reality of life against that, you have to make some hard choices, your child's not always going to like that, and they will be upset at times, there will be a stirring, an outburst of anger at times, and that's not what Paul's talking about. There's two words in Greek for anger, and Paul isn't referring to the one here that refers to outburst and sudden anger. But he's referring to a kind of anger that we might call a slow, simmering anger. A sense of irritation. A sense of frustration that children sometimes have with their parents. Or have towards their parents. We might even call it aggravation or exasperation. And this is, in fact, one of the words that's used in Colossians and some translations that says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, lest they become discouraged. So you have to frame in your mind what Paul's talking about here, what we want to avoid. He's not suggesting that you never anger your children, that you never set the kind of rules and boundaries that might bring them to a point of tears even sometimes, or even that you would avoid the very necessary elements of of discipline. He's not talking about that kind of anger, but he's talking about the kind of activity in our life that generates a deep-seated frustration and resentment and bitterness from our children towards us. And the hard part about parenting is it's not always obvious in their youthful years. In fact, these kinds of frustrations many times are buried under the surface of compliant obedience in the pre-pubescent years. We would say the adolescent, non-adolescent years. These these kinds of uh, feelings stirring in the hearts of our kids are not always evident until they reach a point of independence. Then they come out. So the big question is, if we're not going to provoke our children to anger, how would we avoid that? It's clear enough that it's a danger, but how would you avoid raising kids who in the end wind up being frustrated with you, resentful toward you, embittered against you, or just plain uninterested in you? How do you avoid provoking that underneath simmering 
frustration and animosity that boils over one day. Well, I want to give you some very practical sort of suggestions from the book of Proverbs today on how not to do that. And we could begin simply uh, by talking maybe in a very broad sense about what should be obvious, I guess. You don't really even need a scripture for this, but you would begin by saying simply that you would not want to physically abuse your children. Probably shouldn't need to be said, but just to make sure we cover our basis and to be clear that this is always an ungodly behavior. There's no excuse for any parent at any time to use what is their naturally superior strength, not to mention their authority to attack their children out of frustration and anger. Even if you want to call it discipline, it is ungodly. And you should realize it is a short-lived victory that will bring long-term damage to both yourself, to your children, and to others. We had to watch with grief this week as a child, a young man, went into a church and took a weapon and, and uh, took the lives of a number of people who were in the house of worship. And um, people have so many questions in their heart and mind. But we know from the reading of Scripture that those kinds of feelings of, uh, of anger and uh, hatred and racism and bitterness and all that, they are alive in all of our hearts, but they are so certainly cultivated and enriched by a failure of good parenting. We don't want to have children who wind up growing into violent and uh, aggressive and, and uh, hateful young people because that's what they have learned at home. So we need to be careful in this area. We need to understand that physical abuse runs against everything the Bible teaches about God, about the way He disciplines us, about the way He chastises us, and about the way that He is redemptive in His efforts toward us. Secondly, and very closely aligned with that, we should avoid what we would call verbal or emotional abuse. And what we mean by that is all of the demeaning talk, all of the belittling talk, all of the mockery that some parents are prone to make of their children in front of others. I don't know what your childhood was like, but I can remember times when I had either parents or step-parents who for the sake of their own amusement in the company of their peers and friends would speak about me and about my siblings in very demeaning and belittling and humiliating ways. Mocking your children or even expressing frustration with them because of what is their very natural immaturity and weaknesses. We sometimes treat them as if they ought to have the maturity and the foresight and the wisdom of an adult. And when they don't, we get frustrated and we belittle and we demean them because of it. Well, the Proverbs speak about this kind of speech and its 
very damaging, the scripture tells us. It's no different than uh, with your children than it is with anyone else. Proverbs says, for example, a harsh word stirs anger. So right off the start, you want to know a way to not provoke your children to anger? A very good start would be not to use harsh words with them because it stirs to anger. Or Proverbs 12, 18 says there's one whose words are like the thrust of a sword. In other words, you're like someone who is jabbing. And when that happens, if you can imagine with a real weapon, with a real sword, people are going to do what? They're going to recoil. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to be embittered. They're going to naturally, if for no other reason than just protection against the pain, they're going to withdraw within themselves. So instead of looking for opportunities to belittle or demean our children, poke fun at them or whatever it might be, even show our disappointment with them, we ought to be looking for opportunities to commend them, to express our appreciation to them frequently. How grateful we are that they are ours. Proverbs 16, 21 says that kind of speech, sweetness of speech, it says, increases persuasiveness. You want to have persuasive words with your children? You want to know what it will be that will make your words weighty with them? Well, it will begin by, first of all, putting away harshness and putting on sweetness of speech, commending Loving and appreciating your children. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Every one of us wants to bring up our children in a healthy environment. We want to bring up children who are going to be sound in body and in spirit. No one, no one really probably, I should say, few people want to bring up their children who are malnourished or deprived intellectually or emotionally. And yet they miss what the proverb tells to us so plainly. Gracious words are a key to this. It isn't just dressing them. It isn't just putting clothes on their body. And it isn't just putting them in the right kind of educational environment. It is very much the kind of speech that they hear coming from your lips every day. I love to think And remind people about the Apostle Paul when he was writing to churches and had to rebuke them in all kinds of ways. And in nearly every situation, really in every situation, he never writes a letter of rebuke without also including with it words of gratefulness and affirmation for the good that has come through these churches. Even his worst letter, we would say, the one that is most harsh in Galatians. He may not begin with words of commendation, but by the time you come to chapter 4, he is reflecting on the kind of love that they have shown to him, how they would have plucked out their own eyes in order to have given them to Paul. How how he longed affectionately for them, like a mother in child pains wanting to give birth to them. And he expressed with very intense words how deep his emotions and his affections were for this church. What a beautiful picture of the kind of love that we ought to have when we're rebuking even our children. 
This is exactly what the Proverbs talks about when it comes to our speech, our language. We shouldn't be verbally abusive. We ought to be verbally affirmative, gracious, sweet, and kind. Number three, a third way you could provoke your children to frustration and anger and discouragement is simply by failing to let them know that they are a reward. Failing to let them know that they are valuable to you. Psalm 127, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This is the attitude that God wants you to have for your children. He wants you to look at them not as an inconvenience, not as something that is an intrusion on your life, on your entertainment, on your goals, on your pursuits. He wants you to look at them as a reward. This is the biblical view of children. It may not be the modern view. It may not be the view of the upwardly mobile, uh, uh, educated, uh, executive-minded, whatever it might be. But this is the biblical view. That children are a reward. And no one would very sooner turn away a, 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 a cash reward of a million dollars than they ought to turn away a child. They're valuable. Jesus himself taught this whenever he was in Luke 18 and the disciples had some children coming alongside and they were trying to shoo them away as if somehow they were going to be an inconvenience to Jesus' ministry. And he rebukes the disciples and says, says, let the children come. He wanted to give a verbal and a physical demonstration of the value of these, of these kids. And yet your kids may sometimes be made to feel that they are some sort of intrusion into your life, some sort of, some sort of intrusion into your plans, some sort of weight on your shoulders against what you might view as a better life for you. Somehow they're a problem that you wish you could avoid. And when they hear that, when they sense that, they cannot help but become resentful. And in turn... You, you will one day be treated as an unwanted intrusion into their life. Fourthly, you can frustrate and anger your children by simply humiliating them. Humiliating them. Sometimes it's open and intentional trying to control or pressure them by public shame treating them the way you would never want to be treated, even the way you'd never treat another human being. Or in some situations, it's simply by scolding and rebuking them in public. You know, the Bible is very clear about that issue. When you are called to confront someone's sin, you do it in private. Matthew eighteen fifteen, if you see your brother sinning, go and tell him his sin in private. But somehow we reason that that doesn't apply to our children as if they're not human. As if God's wisdom on all of the social and, and uh, 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 public dynamics of the way that we interact about our own weaknesses, about our own sins, don't apply to them. As if they can't feel shame, as if they can't feel humiliation, as if when they're sitting there listening to you rebuke them, they're not also uh, processing in their mind all of the eyes that are staring at them. 
as if somehow all of those things which would affect us and make us naturally more defensive or naturally less receptive to a rebuke would not be at play whenever it is taking place with our children. It doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't say if your brother is at least 18 years of age, go to him in private. It doesn't say if he's at least 16 or 12 or 10 or 5. He's simply talking about wisdom in the way that we deal with sins, in the way we deal with disobedience, in the way we deal with, with uh, weaknesses. Because our kids are just as human as we are. They have emotions. They can feel hurt. They can feel shame. They can feel humiliation. It's really a, a pity to see parents who are so insensitive and so callous to their children's feelings, sometimes out of a sense of personal embarrassment as a way of almost telling everyone else in the room, I don't approve of my child's behavior, or everyone else in the room, I'm not a failure as a parent. What do we do? In order to prove that we're in control, we'll rebuke our child with callous and insensitivity towards their own feelings. To save face for yourself. Listen, you think that won't build resentment in the heart of your child just as it would for you if you had someone constantly calling out your faults in front of others? It doesn't matter if you're at church. It doesn't matter if you're at the shopping center. It doesn't matter if you're in the living room in front of their siblings. You need to learn to treat your son or your daughter the same way you would want to be treated in dignity and in respect finding a quiet place, a secluded place where you can carry out any kind of rebuke or discipline and it will eliminate any doubt that you're dealing with their sin in a way that has only your own personal interest in mind, your own image that you're trying to save. Number five, you can frustrate and provoke your children to anger by simply constantly finding fault with them. Proverbs 11.9 says, The mouth of a godless man destroys his neighbor. And you better believe it will destroy your son and daughter as well when you are constantly finding criticism or, or fi- constantly hurling criticism at them. Proverbs 16.27, Your words are like a scorching fire sometimes, or they can be. They will scorch the mind, they will scorch the heart of your child and they will scorch the relationship. It will be scorched ground, in other words, where it is difficult for anything to grow for some time because of your, uh, your uh, uh, constant biting criticism of so many little things that they do. One of the things we need to learn about kids is that they're kids. One of the things we need to learn is that they make mistakes and we need to provide room for them to make mistakes. Provide that and give them the kind of instruction with gentleness that is uh, the same kind of instruction we receive from, from the Lord. I remember listening to John MacArthur tell a story about walking by the restroom and seeing his son looking in the toilet so he went in there to find out what he's doing, and, and he said, son, what are you doing? He said, well, I was just curious what it looked like going down the toilet. 
So MacArthur looked over in there, and in the toilet was MacArthur's wristwatch. So he said, yeah. So I kind of looked, because I'd never seen, you know, what it looked like <laughs> going down the toilet. He understood. It's a kid. Kids do what kids do. He didn't get upset with him, fly off the handle with him, criticize him harshly at that moment. I'm sure he took him along, instructed him. That's not where watches go. <laughs> but we need to be mindful of what our words can do and what our criticism can do with our, our children. That kind of goes to a sixth point that we could might delineate. A way of exasperating or provoking our children to anger, frustration, discouragement is simply by overreacting, by losing control in our anger. Parents have a tendency to do this. They respond to some silliness, some foolishness, primarily because it infringes on your interest. Maybe you're in the middle of trying to enjoy an evening of television. Maybe you're in the middle of trying to cook a dinner. Maybe you're in the middle of some project or whatever it might be, and your child is coming to you with what might be considered silliness or, or, or some trivial story or or whatever it might be, or sometimes it is even just their disobedience, and it interrupts your peace, and it interrupts your plans, takes you away from what you're interested in, or, or at times even uh, damages something that you own. And the immediate response of your flesh is selfish. It is protecting yourself. It is protecting your things. And so parents have a tendency to overreact at this point, And they fail to remember that a a harsh word stirs anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. And they're stirring anger in their children, stirring frustration in their children, when their children maybe didn't even know better than what they're doing. We need to remember what Paul says about a servant of the Lord in 2 Timothy 2. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil and correcting his opponents with gentleness, lest perhaps God might grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. It's no different than with your children. They're no less a person than anyone else, and you're more likely to influence them to knowledge and influence them to repentance if you deal with them gently and patiently not harshly and quarrelsome. Number seven, we need to uh, prevent or avoid, I should say, frustrating or provoking our children through simply ignoring them. Ignoring them. It's like Absalom. You know the story of Absalom and David. So many lessons in parenting that come from that in Second Samuel. Samuel uh, tells us, that there was a point in David's life where Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Now, Jerusalem's not a big place, especially the city of David is not a big place. You could sooner walk across the, the, the city of Jerusalem than you could walk from here to downtown Woodstock. It's not a big place. And yet for two years... His son lived in Jerusalem, and he was never welcomed into his father's presence. 
completely ignoring his responsibility, completely ignoring his child, what was going through his, li- his child's life and heart and mind. And of course, you know the tragic end of that. Absalom eventually turned violently against his father, tried to dethrone him, and in fact, even take his life. He drove him out of Jerusalem. Ignoring your kids frustrates them. Shunning your kids, having no time with your kids drives them to despair and bitterness. In fact, the Bible gives us exactly the opposite picture of parenting. Deuteronomy 6 speaks about being with your child when they rise up, when you rise up and when you lie down, when you go out and when you come in and when you walk along the way. It says in all of those venues of life, you ought to be with your child and teaching your child the Scripture. It doesn't directly command what we would call quality time, but it is implied. It is implied that your time with your child is not limited to a 15-minute devotion at breakfast, a 30-minute devotion after dinner, but it is a life where you are calling your child to, to spend time with you, or better yet, you spend time with them at what's important to them. You go out with them. You come in with them. You're there when they rise up, when they, go, uh, when they go to sleep. You're there with them along the way. And along the way, you're just talking about the decisions that you're making in life and why you're making them and why they need to make decisions according to the Word of God. You're just exposing them to the wisdom of God's Word, involving them in your heart and mind as you're involved in their heart and mind. That, of course, implies that you know the Word of God. That, of course, implies that you are able to process all the decisions of your life, the relationships of your life, the circumstances of your life, the challenges of your life through the Word of God. And so it implies a a personal growth, a personal seeking of the Lord, if you're going to be able to, to do this with your child. Number eight, you can frustrate and drive your child to anger by simply failing to seek forgiveness. When you have sinned. Again, you shouldn't think that there's a double standard with your child than there is with anyone else. That you, when you sin against someone else, you need to ask for forgiveness. But with them, you don't need to. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 23, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother... And then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. For truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. You know what he's saying to you? Reconcile quickly with your brother, with your sister, with your son, with your daughter before it's too late. Because there reaches a point where if you don't reconcile quickly, the resentment builds in so deeply that reconciliation becomes very difficult and you will pay every penny of the frustration and the, and the anger that you build into their hearts when you sin against them and never seek forgiveness. Be reconciled, in other words, before reconciliation is beyond you. It's so easy. We as parents to overlook this. When our kids are small, 
Because in their immaturity, they can't process mentally all the stuff that's going on in their heart and mind. They don't know why they're feeling the frustrations they're feeling. They don't understand that you're not asking forgiveness from them. They just know that they have been violated in some way and you haven't done anything about it. But those feelings don't go away. And they boil up and they flow over in the latter years of their life. And it's too late. It's too late to go back and undo all the hurt, undo all the words, all the time that you brought them to the point of frustration because you reacted sinfully against them, all the time that you ignored them in your life and didn't spend time with them, all the time that you pursued in selfishness your own goals, your own entertainment, all the time that you exposed them to sin and temptation. You exposed them to gossip. All the things that you did sinfully in their life and you never asked for forgiveness. Listen, your kids ought to learn what asking for forgiveness looks like by watching you do it. If they go up their whole life and never hear you Ask for forgiveness from them. How are they ever going to learn what it looks like? They themselves are go on in life recalcitrant against the offenses that they make against others, unable with their own spouse to humble themselves and to seek the kind of forgiveness that they need, having unreconciled frustrations with others in their life because they never learned from you how to reconcile a relationship. They'll learn that first in their parents. They ought to see humility first in their parents. I remember my wife and I spending time with a godly young lady and she had been raised in a Christian home and she had a wonderful testimony. So we were just, you know, asking her about, you know, what did your parents do, you know, to influence you and your walk with Christ? And, and she said, you know, I, I really don't remember any Bible lessons. I don't remember any of that kind of formal training or any of that stuff. I, I don't remember principles necessarily that kind of stuck out my mind. She said, one thing sticks out though, is I have these images seared into my mind of my mom humbling herself in tears again and again, asking me for forgiveness because she had violated or sinned against me in some way. And this was the only thing she had holding on to from her childhood, and yet it had shaped her character It had shaped her maturity, and she's a precious servant of the Lord even today. This is what impacted her spiritually. We need to give that same treasure to our children. Number nine, you can provoke your children to anger and frustration by simply neglecting to listen to them. That is, allowing them no input, entertaining none of their questions, Simply expecting them to be seen and not heard. I mean, I understand that kids, they have to learn the boundaries socially of when to speak and when not to speak. But it amazes me sometimes how in even social settings, parents treat their kids more disrespectfully than they would treat any other human being. As if their kids are not human beings. Not giving them attention, not showing them interest, uh, making them feel as if they are perhaps the least important person on the face of the earth. 
We need to be ones who give our attention and let our kids know that we welcome their stories, their questions, their opinions, their input, giving them opportunity to explain. James tells us we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And yet when it comes to parenting, we're the exact opposite. We're slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Listen, I know as well as anyone the uh, uh, nearly endless silly stories that can come to you as a parent. And, and I know that, you know, you can, in, in, you can, you can reach a point of, of uh, trying your patience, you know, when you've heard the, you know, latest uh, My Little Pony, whatever, the story. But at that point, you need to remind yourself, God listens. And are not some of your concerns trivial? Are not some of the things that you bring up just a product of your own immaturity and your own lack of proper biblical values? The scripture gives us this picture of God. I I love this picture. He attends to our prayers. Over and over and over and over again, the scripture tells us that. In fact, I love those verses where it says uh, many times in, this, in the uh, uh, prophets, God bends his ear. And what a wonderful picture. God doesn't just listen. He actually turns his ear physically, we would say, so that not a single syllable of what you have to say is missed. Beautiful picture of what a loving father does for his children that he listens to them with attentive care so that they are never in any doubt that anything that they bring to him, his love is expressed in listening. Psalm 66, truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he's not rejected my prayer and he's not removed his steadfast love from me. 1 Peter 3.2, excuse me, 3.12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, His ears are open to your prayers. We need to be great listeners of our children. Why? Because God's a great listener. Because God is a great listener to us, and we want to be like God. And when we listen, we affirm to our children that, that our steadfast love will not be removed. Wouldn't it be great if when your kids grow up and they speak of you as parents, they can say, blessed, blessed be my dad, blessed be my mom, because they were always attentive to my heart and to my words. Even if your kids don't cognitively process all that right now, they are noting it in their hearts and minds. Number 10, you can frustrate and discourage You can drive your kids to anger by simply living hypocritically, inconsistently. Having an inconsistent testimony in front of them. They hear you talk about righteousness. They hear you talk about God. They hear you talk about His Word. But then they see you not living it out. It will frustrate them. It will give rise to cynical attitudes. Foster a double life because they see a double life in you. 
they will get from you the idea that how they speak is not important and how they live is not important. All they have to do is put on the mask when other people are present because they've seen you wearing the same mask. I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says to his church, he says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you. And then he says in verse 11, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk as we did in a manner worthy of God. I mean, that's the way we really ought to be exhorting our children. Walk as we walk. Just do what we do. And your life will be worthy of God. Elizabeth Elliot passed away this week. Went to be with the Lord. Her reward is great in heaven. I remember reading as a young man a book about the Christian families she had written. And she, she said the one image that she had as a child that stood out to her was when she came down the stairway of their home in the morning. She invariably saw her dad under a shawl from the cold air bowing at his chair as he prayed. She said she didn't need all the, so much the lessons and all of but that one image impacted her so deeply. She learned about prayer, not by hearing about it, but by seeing it in her parents. Do your kids see you pray like that? I'm not talking about the dinner table. Do they see you on your knees before the Lord? Do they see you with your Bible reading morning after morning? That'll be the greatest lesson you ever teach them about the the importance of personal devotion and worship of the Lord when they see it in you and not just hear it from you. Paul even says to Timothy, 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 1, he says, Timothy, I remind you of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. He says, Timothy, I want to remind you, you saw a sincere faith in your grandparents and in your parents. What a rich heritage we can leave to our families if as grandparents or as parents, our kids see our life before they even hear of what it is. And then one more, you can provoke your children to anger and frustration by simply failing to love your spouse in front of them. I'll never forget this, and I've probably told this story before. I was in seminary, uh, had a discipleship lab, they called it, where you got together four or five of us with a professor, and beginning of the semester, he gave us an assignment. He said, I want you to go home, and I want you to ask your wife one word that describes you, and then come back and share it with the group. So I said, okay. I went home and said, I got this thing at school, you know, you got to say one word that describes me, and I go tell it to everybody else. So she thought for a second, she said, Wonderful. I said, that's no good. I mean, they want something like specific, you know, like diligent or, you know, something like that. So she thought a little bit longer and she said, ungrateful. (laughs) So I go back uh, to my lab and I tell my professor the story uh, about how it all went. And, you know, so after we had our chuckle and everything, he, he calmed the room down. He said, you know what? That is one of the most important things you'll ever do for your children. 
is simply for you to adore your wife in front of them and for her to honor and, and, and reverence you. And more important than any lessons you'll learn, and this comes from a man who had been raised in a godly home. He himself was a seminary professor. He's raised up children who are now teaching in seminaries and doing wonderful things for the Lord. And, and that one lesson of parenting, he says, you, that one thing will overcome so many mistakes. And I needed that because we have plenty of mistakes in our home. But if, if it came down to just simply loving my wife in front of them, I, I, I can do that. Because your kids will learn how to honor their mother by seeing the way that you honor her. Your kids will learn how to respectfully treat their father by the way that you treat your husband in front of them. And if you are constantly nagging and constantly embittered, or if you are demeaning towards your wife and selfish in your, in your behavior when you're around the home, if you're not a servant or whatever it might be, the, by the kind of conduct you have for your children, your kids will learn. They'll learn how to treat you. They'll learn how to treat your, your, your spouse. They'll learn how to treat their future spouse. So one of the things that you can do for generating anger towards you or even towards your spouse is just to treat your spouse that way. But if you want to show, if you want to raise kids who show respect and honor and love, then treat one another with the same in front of your kids. Listen, it's not that complicated when it's all said and done. We're just doing to our kids what the Lord does for us. We're being for our kids what God is for us. He's gentle. He's kind. He's patient. He's affirming in His love toward us, constantly reminding us of His covenant, constantly reminding of, his, of, of us of His forgiveness. And the way we learn to be great parents is simply by looking at the greatest father of all our Father of lights, who's in heaven above. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful today for these brief reminders that call us back as parents and as grandparents to the kind of life and the kind of words, the kind of love, the kind of behavior that is commensurate with godly parenting with godly shepherding. I pray that you would give us humility wherever we go, in our homes and with our, our kids, that we would never forget just how you've treated us and that we would, in turn, raise up a godly heritage by mimicking you and showing the love that we have received. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.